welcome to Doctrine and Devotion, the podcast that explores Christian faith and practice from a Reformed Baptist perspective. My name is Joe Thorne. I'm the lead pastor of Redeemer Fellowship in St. Charles, Illinois. And I'm Jamie Fowler, executive pastor at Redeemer Fellowship. You are here. I'm here. I'm so excited for you. I'm excited too. You're back. I'm back. Oh my gosh, you you made this uh, whole big trip. We were talking about it. You're mm-hmm. going to Texas. Yep. You're going to celebrate your wife's birthday. Yep. Valentine's Day. Mm-hmm. Going without me, but taking another guy, whatever. And another then, couple, uh, not yeah, just a guy. But, it was a dude, but, he, but, but a dude was there. And well, um, that's what happens when you bring a couple. Yeah, we don't have to bring it. You just bring me in. I make up. I'll, like, uh, one yeah, couple not, equals... I'm not, no, I'm not bringing you one Joe on equals a trip, one couple. Michelle and I. That, Why that's not? weird. Yeah. She would be the third wheel. Yeah. No, no. We're Perfect. It looks like we did in New Zealand. Yeah, that was your fault. No. Anyways, you go to you go to, you go go to to Texas. Yep, you have Austin. this whole thing planned out. Mm-hmm. Going to be awesome. Mm-hmm. And then uh, they Texas got their butt kicked with some weather. Yeah, it was a mess, man. It was a mess. You were sending me were pictures. Canceled. Yeah, flights were canceled twice on me. Roads were impassable. Oh, it was nuts. I thought, well, I sent you that photo of the interstate. That's crazy. That's what we were trying to do. That was, at first we're like, all right, let's try to get to Dallas. They're like, oh no. Okay. Let's now try to get just into Austin to go to the airport there. Nope. Okay. And then we just finally made it to a hotel. Now, here's the thing. So you 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 you, you had to take a plane to DC. Yep. Once you finally could get a little window of planes flying, you go to DC. Yep. I am I, we're, we're driving, we're like, okay, we're going to drive we're going to try to make it home. At least try to get out of Texas. Right. You know? Get and out of that hole. Get yeah, get out of there cuz I'm like I'm pretty sure, you know, once we get outside Texas, we're mm-hmm. the roads are going to be at least a little bit plowed. Maybe yeah. some people have some common sense. Right? Yeah. Um and and plow it. And so as I'm driving, I'm like, I'm checking all the flights because I, I use a, an app, uh, Flightboard. Yeah. So you could tell, you could see, anyways, I'm just going through, I'm trying to map out yeah. how I'm going to get there. Found these uh, these flights to DC, grabbed it. So there's flights uh, uh, from DC fly to Chicago. way out of the way just yep. to get a flight back into Chicago. Correct. And it worked. Now, um, so here's the thing. Uh-huh. You, you didn't take your ride or die, which is fine. Okay. Um, oh, that's hilarious. Yeah. Because... So- Wait, what? Because <laughs> that's all we kept talking about. We're like, ride or die. We're, you might ride or die. And we're high fiving. Oh, really? Greg's your ride or die? Well, you just like the couples were just like, ride or die. That's hilarious that you oh, yeah, said okay, that. Okay, okay. Because we didn't plan that. Okay, I okay. love the fact mm-hmm. that yeah, that we don't plan anything. Up. Yeah, uh, <laughs> you, you plan to go places without me, but we don't plan anything <laughs> for the podcast. Now, here's my question. Mm-hmm. So, your ride or die, apparently, Greg. Um, what kind the of girls? a ride? Or, what kind of a ride or die is he? Was he the kind of guy that was like? Like in this in this Christ situation, he had it together and he was like a man about it. Like I would be, or was he like a little girl? He was a man. Oh, really? Man. He was all man all the way. All man. Okay. All, right. all man. All right, then uh, I'll give props to your, what? your well, ride you know, or die. I, I'm just saying, if I was going to be stuck somewhere, mm-hmm. it, if it wasn't you, I'm glad it was him. Okay. So he handled it like a boss. Yeah. Okay. Good. Yeah. Yeah. Good. It's really good. Had a had a great time. Mm-hmm. You know. All right. All right, fine. Yeah. Uh, listen, uh, I wanted to go. I, mm-hmm. I wished I was invited uh, until had, I yeah. until I saw the whole mess, and then I was glad I wasn't invited. So, because <laughs> I don't want to deal with all that. What do you mean? Snow and extra flights and all that stuff. No, no, it worked out fine. No, I know it worked out. out. Now, listen. Maybe maybe I need a new ride or die. No, maybe no, my no, 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 no. maybe listen, my listen. since you are have you, a new are you ride or die. Because we had such a like. I, no, I, I want you to have a good time with your yeah. number two. Uh, what, but, we did but, have a good time. Yeah, with I your had, number you know, two. With your number two. With best your part about two. it. Best part about the whole thing. Yeah. Was being able to you know hang out with Michelle mm-hmm. and the Urals mm-hmm. and of course the professor. What, what, I don't understand what that is. Oh, you yeah, you won't get it. It's an inside joke. You had to be there. Yeah. So. um my question is, uh, I forgot what I, you, you, you waxed ineloquent for so long. I forgot what my point was. Oh, my new ride or die is Nick Batzig. What's up? What's up, Nick? Yeah, what up? Yeah, that's my ride or die. Yeah, good luck with that one. <laughs> mm-hmm. We're going to drink some barley wine and hang barley out. Barley wine. That's yeah. what he drinks. That, that, I don't know about that. Yeah, ride or oh, die, no. this is just your okay, die. Maybe not. <laughs> now, if you guys don't remember, uh, we had Nick Batzig on the show a little while ago. And we've talked about Nick Batzig for years because we love Nick and the people we love, we like to make fun of. Nick is an associate editor for Legionnaire Ministries, and he's a pastor at Wayside Presbyterian Church in Signal Mountain, Tennessee. He writes a lot. He preaches a lot. Nick is a great guy, really smart. And uh, Nick, thanks for coming back on the podcast. Thanks for having me back on. You made time for us. Mm. Yep. Yep. What's, what's going on down there in Tennessee? What, did you guys get a lot of crazy weather? It's it's cold. It was like 12, 14 degrees the last two days. That yeah, was cold. That's cold for you guys, man, for it sure. Cold. It's cold for anybody, yeah. but it's really cold for yep. you guys. Did you get a lot yep. of snow or no? We got some snow last week, yeah. 
Really? Nice. Really? Yeah. Hey, you yeah. know, I wanted I wanted to ask you something um, because we haven't. I don't think we've talked about this. I was curious if when this whole pandemic thing happened and, and churches were not able to meet, how did your church handle that? You know, you're a Presbyterian church and you're out there in Tennessee. Did you have restrictions put on you? Or did you have to close down for a while? We had to close down for a few months before we started worshiping again. And then other churches have, have been in, you know, worse situations where they had to close for a long period of time. How, what, how did you guys handle it? Yeah. So Tennessee's a red state. So they were more sort of open-ended on what we should do. And I think I called you guys when we were going through this. We didn't know what to do entirely. And we shut down, I think, for six or seven, maybe eight weeks just to know what we were dealing with. Right. And then um, opened up uh, middle of May. And we were one of the first PCA churches in the area to open up. And that was kind of a hard area to navigate. Yeah. You know, are we opening too soon? We don't want to be the first. We don't want to be the last. We don't want to, you know, I mean, people didn't know what to do. So we opened up, I think, May 17th and just slowly rebuilt back. Um, we have never required masks, but we have strongly encouraged them. And, you know, like every church, that caused consternation. Yeah. You know, you've got people on both sides. We'll talk about fundamentalism at some point tonight. And um, certainly that's a sort of a litmus test on where people are at on things. Mm. And now we are actually going to one service all mask, one service optional, and then evening service optional. So we've kind of, we've kind of developed as we've gone along. Great. Well, if you had asked us the first time, we would have told you to do it that way because that's yeah. the way we did it. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, it's kind of the cut the baby in half, right? Yeah. Cut that baby. Um. <laughs> what? <laughs> cut the mouth in half. Just come in with <laughs> half a mouth on. <laughs> so, breathe out a half your mouth. So I'm actually really excited to talk about this uh, this topic. I know. So you know, we had you on. Well, actually, for we recorded last week. That's right. For, for you know this week's banter of truth. Yeah. Uh, great had a great conversation. Uh, but afterwards we sat there and we're just talking, kept hanging out, kept hanging out. And we began talking about this, you know, and saying, we need to record this. Uh, let's talk about it next week. And actually what happened was you're like, let's talk about it now. Can we record another one? And who didn't have time? Uh, Nick didn't have time. Nick didn't have time for us. (laughs) Nick didn't have time. And, uh, but I wasn't going to throw him under the bus like that. No, I will. But I definitely want, I I definitely want people to, to hear, you know, a little bit of what we talked about at Banter of Truth, right? Yeah. Because uh, you were talking, Nick, just about, uh, we were asking the question about, like, how can we be civil? How can we be civil and united mm. as the people of God, uh, despite this over, you know, uh, what's the word? Politicized. Politicized, over-politicized and the polarization uh, that sure. we see in our culture invading the church. So I want you guys to hear this. Let's listen to uh, what Nick had to say Uh just on the last banter of truth. Well, and if I could, can I pick this up real quick or are you going to play something? No, go ahead. I'll play it right after you. Go ahead. No, you're going to play something. Go ahead. I am. It. No, no, no. You already did this. No, I'm done. You no, already say, ruined it. You already We're ruined not even going to do it just now. Just say it and then you're I'm going to put it in. You're going to have to edit this. We don't edit anything. anything. We don't edit anything. So stop it. You're going to have to. Say what you're going to say. No, say what you're going to say. No, I'm done. All right, here we go. Here's here's Nick's thoughts. I mean, that's a question I want to explore then is how do we maintain unity within the church in the midst of all this polarization that's happening in our culture? Yeah, I mean, I've been meditating on John 17 a lot lately. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, the call to the call to walk in the unity we have in Christ right. um, is a very real call. At the same time, it's walking in the truth. Do you guys know that? And it's not sort of unity for unity's sake. Um, and I, I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know the answer of when to divide with a brother over non-explicitly gospel issues that may ultimately seem like they could become gospel issues. I, d- I don't know. Well, it's why you have to talk, right? It's why you have to have conversations because that's right. sort of how we get down to it. And you know, you saying, uh, uh, why don't people call or people should be calling, picking up a phone? Why do you think it is that we don't? Like, what? Because I'll tell you what, like, I, Jimmy and I, I have. I don't know. I try, I try to do it. And that's not me saying, oh, you know, look at me. But I want to, 
I care about brothers. And so I want to know how can I reconcile this relationship or how can I at least get these people talking directly with each other yeah. before they go public and against I, each other. I guess it goes both. Know? I guess it goes both ways. Cause I know like Jimmy and I have felt it where like, wow, somebody that like we would have considered friends, like written us off and it's right. like, wow, that's kind of cool. We didn't write them off. We feel like they wrote us off, but right. we haven't reached out to them either. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, yeah. It, it goes both yeah, ways. Like yeah. if, even if, even if we think like ah, they're mad at us and we don't know why we should still take the initiative to go, Hey, let me reach out to this person and just try and talk this and thing it w- through. Very well, maybe, you know, it's just in our head, right? No, no, no I'm never wrong. I am never you're wrong. That big of a I deal, always <laughs> know what people think about me all the time. <laughs> so you got your listeners are all appreciate that. So, you know, Machen is our guy. Like Machen yeah. was a warrior, right? Machen took on liberalism, but, but Machen was in a denomination with Pearl F. Buck, who wrote The Good Earth. I mean, she was flamingly liberal okay. on the mission field. What's her name? Um, Pearl S. Buck. Okay. The Good Earth. And Machen also was in the same denomination with people that denied the deity of Christ, the virgin birth, the resurrection of Christ. So, I mean, he was not, he was not sort of looking for the slippery slope. Mm-hmm. He was... He was down it with him mm. and he tried to start his own mission board and he was defrocked. And that's why he started the OPC in Westminster seminary. Yeah. So he wasn't, he wasn't, he wasn't looking for a fight. He was fighting. He was writing massive, very nuanced um, theological works. But, but when Machen died, this is fascinating guys. When Machen died, this liberal Episcopalian who had been at Princeton with him, wrote a remembrance of him and he said though dr machen and i disagreed sharply he was the kindest most gentle and most loving man i knew Mm -hmm. i mean it's unbelievable guys like this is a man on the other side yeah saying machen just took me to took me to task but he was loving and kind and gentle and i think we need more of that you can be you can be a you can be a lion for truth and still be gentle, you know? All right, Nick, now what do you want to tell us? We'll, we're going to add the clip in later. Really? Yeah. Yeah, we're not going to do it now. You'd have to, super confusing. You'd have, to, you'd, have to, right. you'd have to sit there for like five minutes or whatever. So we're not going to make you sit ready? There. Yeah, yeah, I'm ready. Go. Cut all that so, out. We're all right. not cutting it out. So what I would say sort of picking up on our last conversation, and maybe this could be a part two, I mentioned... Kevin DeYoung's uh, article on Ligonier, I didn't know the title of it. It is called, Where and How Do We Draw the Line? I think that's a good title. It was a July 2012 Table Talk article Kevin wrote. And he basically goes through there, he he uses that old Christian um, mantra, in essentials, unity, in non-essentials, liberty, in all things, charity. That's Mm. a great slogan, mm. right? Mm-hmm. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity. And then Kevin goes on to defend, how do we know what are essentials, non-essentials? How do we how do we d- discern them? And, and I just want to encourage your listeners to find that article, where and how do we draw the line? I think that's super helpful in where we're going, because when we come to talk about the new fundamentalism, or, you know, dual fundamentalism or however we want to frame it, we're, we're kind of dealing with both orthodoxy and orthopraxy. Right. Mm-hmm. So so you, orthodoxy, we all want to be fundamentalists in the sense that, mm-hmm. right, given J. Gretchen Machen and the fundamentalist modernist controversy, there is a fundamentalism everybody who loves the Bible should want to fall into, right? Yeah. Deity of Christ, virgin birth, inerrancy, substitutionary, inerrancy, substitutionary atonement, resurrection. These are the essentials, right? In essentials, unity. So we should all want to be that. But but I find with a lot of our current sort of climate, we've got a bunch of people trading in orthopraxy that has orthodoxy behind it or or doxy behind it it has teaching ideology 
and and yet they want to sort of deal with everybody on the the orthopraxy level. Are you with me on this? Would you do this? Would you not do this? Yeah. Are you saying this this way? Does that make sense? Like those yeah. two categories seem pretty helpful to me if you can think about where are we investing our energy? Well, you can see this, like, you know, whether it's, uh, remember that that panel discussion that was really awkward where it was Moeller, Endeavor, and uh, John MacArthur, and uh, the other guy at-, at yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. I Phil, do remember Phil, it. Phil Johnson. Phil Johnson, Phil Johnson. Yeah. And he was asking about social justice, right? Right. And so, you know, those guys are linked up, you know, golden chain of orthodoxy all those guys are they're friends and it, it's really built off i think their their love for the gospel their love for good theology yeah. but there's clearly a rift there i mean those guys aren't invited back to the shepherds conference or at least there was maybe there's not anymore yeah i would say right? that yeah i don't know because I, I mean, mean given jimmy's statement about molar that's what i was going to bring up again now <laughs> i don't know maybe that maybe that gap is being bridged i don't know yeah, well, they're 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 not a, they're not invited to this most recent one, so they're maybe they'll be okay. invited back to the yeah. next one. We'll have to see. Yeah, but but it is it's an emphasis, isn't it? It's it's a not just what we say we believe, but how are we saying it? When are we saying it? Why are we saying it? Right? There's this and the spirit in which we're saying it. We talked a little bit about ethos, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so why? So is it is I, I, here's what I, I get the feeling that. The people that are dividing over orthopraxy when their orthodoxy is solid, um, I, I get the feeling that they don't think of it as orthopraxy. I think they think of it as orthodoxy. Right, right. I think they conflate the two. And, right. and I've thought that for a long time is that we've got to be very clear. And you can do this with the complementarian issue, right? Mm -hmm. So to take it out of the sort of CRT um, – maybe take it out the intersectionality to a degree. Mm -hmm. And you talk about the complementarian world. You've got narrow complementarians. You've got broad complementarians. So narrow are going to say, you know, men are called by God to be the head of the family and to lead in the church if they're qualified, right? Mm -hmm. And and they maybe are going to have difference of opinion about women and their roles in you know, the work world, in politics, in law enforcement, then you've got sort of narrow complementarians who are across the board. Women should never do this, 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 and this. Right. And then when they kind of go at it, it gets into the application. It gets into the very narrow, well, wait a minute, you think it's okay that a woman can do this? Ah! And they're not arguing from a general orthodoxy principle. They're getting... They're getting embroiled in the orthopraxy applications. Does that make sense? Maybe that's not the best articulation, but it seems like a lot of the battles that we've seen on that front are down in the minutia of, well, is it okay for a woman to do this? Does that make sense? Yeah, no, I think it does make sense. Uh, and we, we see that. I'm trying to think. Recently, I saw this, uh, this clip of, and I want to get your thoughts on this, of uh, Alistair Begg preaching. And, you know, going back then to, I guess, social justice and woke and, um, you know, for him, he was talking about, I know Joe has talked about this quite often, that the mission of the church is not uh, to proclaim the, the social justice movement. It's it's to proclaim the gospel. Uh, now, the church may work out those things in, in through its members, may, may be involved in various um, movements as such, uh, as appropriate. Um, but the, the church's mission is to focus on the gospel. And so I guess when you're talking about orthodoxy and orthopraxy, I think for some, and, and I'm not sure Alistair, uh, well, I'll just say what he said, uh, was the moment you make one of these social justice movements or one of these uh, peripheral things, the focus of the church or the focus uh, up from the pulpit, then the gospel itself becomes peripheral. Right. Right. And so I right. think when we, when I, I, I agree with your categories, um, but I think for some of these individuals that are maybe anti-woke, I think their concern is the gospel or the the uh, just is is being usurped by culture within the church. Does that make sense? Yeah, it totally makes sense. So I would also want to make a distinction between the church 
as the visible church on mission. Yep. And what what is the mission of the church, right? De Young and was it Gilbert? Yeah. Gilbert and De Young. What is the mission of the church, and then what is the mission of individual Christians? So I know I'm kind of moving away from where we've been in this conversation, but the church as the church has a very specific apostolic mission. And that seems very clear to me. I mean, you read the New Testament. The church is an evangelistic society. It is, it is, there is a spirituality to it. And then as individual Christians go out, their job description is a lot broader than the church gathered, the worshiping community, right? The, the church as the gathered visible manifestation of the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. So I do think we got to draw those lines of distinction as well um, as orthodoxy and orthopraxy. Does that make sense? Yeah. And it, you know, it was the reform tradition that w- where I first heard years ago, that was, it was a reform tradition that helped that distinction by breaking it down into the categories of the great commission and the great commandment that yeah. the great commandment yeah. is for everybody. Uh, but yeah. the Great Commission is only for the church, and the Great Commission is to make disciples. Uh, the the Great the, the commandment, though, the Great Commandment is to love, right? And you love your neighbor as yourself, which gives way to our investment in politics and justice and all kinds of things. And and I think it was Horton actually who who said it. I think I probably read it in a Modern Reformation magazine in the nineties when he was saying that you know. Um, the Great Commission and the Great Commandment, they, these are separate things, but they are connected uh, yeah. but through the people of God, but they are distinct. And you got to understand the difference. Yeah. And I mean, I think, you know, a good example of how to address this, Martin Lloyd-Jones in his Ephesians commentary, in his sermons on Ephesians 6, 5, 5 or 6, 5, I guess, is dealing with the issue of slavery. Hmm. and he he has three or four sermons where he deals with Paul addressing masters and bond servants. Mm-hmm. Now, now I you know there's debate. I don't think he's dealing with chattel slavery as kidnapped right. institutions as we have in American history, which is evil, which First Timothy condemns very clearly. But 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 Paul doesn't address the societal issue and say you should overthrow this system. He tells Christians how you're to conduct yourself as Christians in that system, how you're to live right before the Lord, who is your master, how you are to serve your master. But then Lloyd-Jones goes on to say, but it was Christians who overthrew chattel slavery. Mm -hmm. It was Wilberforce. It was Newton, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. that's, that's a historical fact. And, and, Lloyd-Jones does this great job of moving from the apostolic word to Christians living in these unideal um, circumstances, civilly, how should you live as a Christian, to what then can Christians do as Christians living in those societies. I just thought that was really helpful. It wasn't a sort of, yeah. no, we don't care about it, we don't do anything, nor was it, no, it's the church's job. Ah! Mm-hmm. It was like, Live as Christians, salt and light, be faithful, and yes, if you can, you know, bring about reform. It, I thought that was really helpful. It, it it seems to me that like things just aren't as cut and dry as the two extremes make them out mm. to be, and and that's what like right, right, hard, hard right. fundamentalists do, right? The fundamentalists in the yeah. bad sense of the word is they make things super black and white. Everything is crystal clear. And then their particular take becomes the only way. And what well, I, and it becomes a distinguishing mark of orthodoxy. Right. Yeah. Oh, you're, if you're, if you're deviating from this, I mean, no, no offense. Right. I'm, not, I'm not trying to be mad, but some brands of dispensationalists uh, had this for a while, not all, but some brands. And it yeah. was like, to, yeah. boy, if, if to be amillennial is to be liberal, to deny oh, yeah. pre-mill, pre-trib is to be liberal. So there's this oversimplification of things when I keep finding out. I mean, I've only I mean, I've been a Christian now since 1990s at 30, 31 years. Is that what that is? Yeah, 31 years. Um, what I find is that uh, the truth is clear, but the way forward with the truth in the world 
is is hard work and it's it, things yeah. aren't the application isn't always so cut and dry you got to figure things out and i think we have to leave room for different churches varying churches to be burdened by differing causes that they might want to address as christians in society like i we have yeah. some christians that are going to focus very heavily on on abortion and abolishing abortion other churches might focus heavily on human trafficking others might focus and, and i don't mean churches as, as institutions i mean the people who make mm -hmm, up these mm -hmm, churches mm -hmm. might have these kinds of burdens and i think that that's a good thing i don't think it's a bad thing for us to have differing emphases in our lives as we go out into the world right so i'll give you one personal example and then a definition that i kind of scripted for this um so when I was dating Anna, she had a friend at um, at college whose parents were missionaries and they were dispensational. And somehow she had found out Anna was dating this guy that was all millennial. <laughs> and and I was like really rabid all millennial, you know, like I had read yeah. Hendrickson and Beale, and I mean I'm still there, but mm -hmm. you know, I was very all millennial. And Anna's friend said to her, I'm really concerned about you dating Nick because of his eschatology. Wow. And I was like, whoa, I've never dealt with this. Like, I had done a lot of drugs. I was coming out of the world. I was like, what is this? You're concerned about this. She was fine with the ecstasy, not the eschatology. Yeah, there was, you go. Was, that's, that's good. She was good with the eschatology. <laughs> I can't even say that. She was good with the MDMA, not good with the eschatology. So, so that was a new experience to me. I was like, wow, people divide over this? And, um, you know, that's got me thinking because I didn't grow up in fundamentalist circles. Some of your listeners obviously have. But here's what I kind of drafted. I want you guys to tell me what you think about this. Mm -hmm. So not talking about fundamentalism as what Machen was, right. not the fundamentals of Christianity. Yeah. We all should be. But I say a fundamentalist spirit holds a restricted way forward to some position so that anything that deviates it deviates from it is bad and needs to be excoriated and distanced from. Do you agree with that? Yes. A fundamentalist spirit holds a restricted way forward to some position so that anything that deviates from it is bad and needs to be excoriated. Not only do I agree, I think Jimmy's nodding his head vigorously over here. Mm -hmm. uh, not only do we agree, but it's interesting to see that fundamentalism has become woven into American society. Whereas oh, cancel culture. I mean, right? I, I remember when America yeah. was do your thing, let your freak flag fly and don't worry right. about what anybody, right. nobody can tell cancel you. What. Culture. And now like it's a, it's a growing phenomenon. Fundamentalism is popular. It's hot. It's a physic moral high ground on any issue, whatever the issue. Hmm. Right. So we have it on both sides. Like what are, what in the church, how is, how are, we have fundamentalism, and this is what we were talking about off air, that you have fundamentalists on the woke side, fundamentalists on the anti-woke side, yeah. fundamentalists on the masks and anti-maskers. Like we have fundamentalists on both sides of, of any particular issue. What are, where are you seeing it? In maybe in the Presbyterian world or just in the evangelical world, where do you see these dueling fundamentalisms uh, coming to play? Yeah, I mean, I think you can see it in, I mentioned the um, complementarian, egalitarian divide, right? There can be a sort of a patriarchalism that's fundamentalist, like, you know, a wife's place is to get in the kitchen and make me a sandwich. And it's like, no, yeah. like, yeah, you're the head of your house. Yes. Yes. You get to set what you say goes. But that's not servant leadership to your wife. That's not laying down your life for her. Mm -hmm. That's not that's not one flesh and she's a helpmate, right? I mean that that bothers me yeah. on on one hand. I think that's a I think it's a more minor error, but a reactionary error to sort of egalitarianism. But then on the other side you have this sort of fundamentalism with like, we're nicer than you. Okay, so check this out. Machen in his book What is Faith? is battling theological liberalism, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
he's he's battling the compassionate, merciful liberals of his day. And this, I think we're seeing this in our day. Mm-hmm. And he's talking about the Pharisee and the publican. You guys are going to love this. Listen to this. He said, no doubt, we think we can avoid the Pharisee's error. God was not for him because he was contemptuous toward the publican. We'll be tender to the publican as Jesus taught us to be. And then God will be for us. Machen said, it's no doubt a good idea. It's well that we're tender toward the publican. But what is our attitude toward the Pharisee? Alas, we despise him in a truly Pharisaic manner. Mm. We go up to the temple and pray. We stand and pray thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men are, proud of my own righteousness, uncharitable toward publicans, even as this Pharisee. I'm like, guys, that, that, is, that is awesome. Yeah. That's mm. So the, the, the charity, kind of the charity Pharisee fundamentalist, is the new fundamentalist today in one part, you know? Yeah, I can see that. That's, that's a, that's a good word. We're going to link to all this stuff in the, in the show notes so you guys can find it. Um, so, okay. So we, we see it in, 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 uh, complementarianism. I mean, Jimmy and I one time, <laughs> cause we do a lot of just talking, mm-hmm. right. And we, we shot a video of ourselves at a local cigar shop and, uh, just talking about complementarianism. And we were playing with this idea right um you know who's allowed to preach because a lot of these comp- a lot of uh you know hard complementarians were saying uh, you know women can't preach uh to men in any context uh, especially sunday morning because a preacher has authority and so we were starting to play with well if a, if if i have a guest preacher in my church in our church uh, if nick comes in nick doesn't have authority in our church um the word the word of god has authority but nick doesn't have authority uh over our people and if we have somebody who's not an elder preaching in our church he doesn't have authority in the church Mm -hmm. so if you allow people who don't have authority to preach they're not preaching with any ecclesiastical authority then if you're allowing that then you could consistently have a woman preach not that we we don't practice that but we were set we were floating the idea like you you could be consistent and go, we have women preach, but she's under the authority of the elders. And because we were just playing with this idea and just kind of working it out for people, uh, yeah, we were labeled like, you know, oh, we have women preach and we're totally, you know, uh, egalitarian. And mm-hmm. we, that really wasn't our point at all because we're not. We, we are complimentary. Right, we right. believe in it. We, we agree with the Danvers statement. But, um, but yeah, we got, we got excoriated for that. So I totally get the the logic, and I wrote an article for Reformation 21 years ago called When Gender is Everything. I think that was the title, When Gender is Everything. And I said, look, as a complementarian, we want to be careful because there's an argument that says a non-ordained woman, and all women are non-ordained de facto. Right can do anything a non-ordained man can do if you have a non-ordained man come and preach. Let's say you guys had Tony. You're, you know, Tony. Tony's mm-hmm. great. Yeah, Tony Dopke. Awesome. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, Tony's so sweet. Um, yeah, he's wonderful. So, but, but Tony was your intern or whatever. You're going to have him preach. That's understandable. He's not ordained. Why can't Susie preach, you know? And what I, what I said in the article was, look, when you make preaching – Men can preach, women can't. You've lost the point of the Bible. The Bible says God has given a subset of men who are called and qualified, that he has gifted and qualified, right? First Timothy 3. Right. He's given to them to fill the office that is his office, that is one of the offices of Christ, to minister the word. Now, Tony may not fill that office, but he's pursuing it. The session is approving that, i.e. they say, okay, you know, Tony King can exhort or preach or whatever. Right. But we're not saying men can preach, women can't. We're right. saying God has only called, qualified, and set apart certain men to do this. And yeah, there's exceptions. There are, there are, there's, there's, I mean, you know, in the Baptist world, I had a friend say this to me once. Presbyterians love the rule. Baptists love the exception. Hmm. And it's true. <laughs> Baptists are like, well, what about if my Uncle Tom dunked me in a pool? And I'm like, <laughs> I don't know. I don't even know your Uncle Tom. Where was this pool? Who was there? 
you know? Right, right. <laughs> and Presbyterians are like, no, if he wasn't ordained and a Westminster Seminary grad, your baptism's not lawful. It's like, you know, these these stark distinctions. And I want to say there are rules, biblically, and there are exceptions. So an intern, a sort of guest minister would be an exception. Um, but the rule is only qualified, gifted, called men, right? I think I think that's good. So, I mean, one of the things that we do at Redeemer when we have our orientation, which is like a four-hour class on what we're all about, we, we cover a lot of things. Um, we cover the basics of Reformed theology. We cover <laughs> the very basics. We also cover complementarianism. Um, and we're very clear, uh, very careful to say uh, we, we, we don't believe that, and we say it just like you said it, we say, we don't believe men can be pastors and women can't be pastors. We believe called qualified men who are affirmed by the congregation can be pastors and only, right. and only they can be pastors. And this is why right. and then we give the biblical evidence. It's not simply male versus female. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. We're against women doing anything and we're for men doing everything. That's, that's a sort of perversion, right? Right. Yeah. So Nick, but it's hard. Oh, I get it. It's difficult. I mean, I do get that it's difficult because once you allow for exceptions like an intern or a visiting minister or whatever, yeah, you still have the authority of the, you know, the the body of elders, the session, whatever you want to call it. You still have that at work, but you still have the guiding principles of the Bible, right? Mm. And it's confusing. I mean, it does confuse the issue if you have women mm -hmm. preach in a church when you are saying only qualified called men can serve as pastors. Totally. It does totally. become confusing to the congregation. Well, if you allow this person to preach, who, why, why couldn't, why they, couldn't they be an elder? Yeah, right. right, right. Totally. Yeah. So, Nick, where, you, know, you mentioned complementarianism. Where else do you see uh, this dual fundamentalism uh, cropping up within the church? I mean, I think it's everywhere, and you guys probably agree with this. You see it in the in the sort of the new push for wokeness, CRT. I mean, if you're not for reparations, then you're not with us. I mean, I have friends that have confided in me the struggle they have, where they feel like they're not totally where Vody is. And we talked about Vody a little bit. I love Vody. You know, I'm probably more with him than I'm not. But then they're not fully where some of the radical woke people are. And, right. and, and they've tweeted stuff like, I guess I'm not woke enough because of, they've been excoriated, right? I want to I just say that definition again. A fundamentalist spirit holds a restricted way forward to some position so that anything that deviates from it is bad and needs to be excoriated and distanced from. Hmm. So it's just like, right, here's a great analogy. Okay, one of my buddies, one of my good friends said this. He said, if you're vegetarian, the vegans are like, nope, you're not vegan enough. <laughs> you know, no, yeah. I mean, it really is a good, and he actually ha happens to be a vegetarian. If you're a vegan, Vegetarian's not good enough. He said, how strict, is, they, they want to ask these questions. How strict a vegan are you? Do you right. partake of honey? If not, are you really vegan enough? My daughter, and, my and daughter, that, my daughter will not eat honey because she's vegan for real. She's pure. Well, she, she might she, as well be eating steak then, dude. No, she, she doesn't eat <laughs> no honey, no meat, no animal products, no milk, none of that stuff. But thankfully, she's not angry about it. We eat meat all the time we you know we in front of her she she's eating or whatever and we're eating uh steak and she's cool about yeah, it. yeah and my buddy's that way too he he but but it's a good point. yeah you, you see, see it. it in the food you see it in the mm -hmm. food movement it can be in the woke movement you're not as woke as i am you could see it in the confessional movement can't you on, oh, the, yeah. on the extreme other side sure you you have exceptions to the standards i mean i went to a seminary that was strict subscription. You can never have any exceptions. Joe, I sat with you years ago. I'll put this out there. I sat with, with you at the DG conference, pastor's conference in 2014 in Minneapolis. And we were talking about the age of the earth. Right. Do you remember that? Yeah. And I don't know where you are now. But then you said, I think it's really old. Yeah. Now, I, again, I don't care. 
I mean, me, honestly, me neither. For the record, I'm, I'm a young, I'm a young Earth creationist. Aww. based on, yeah, don't feel sorry for me. <laughs> I mean, that's, all, that's so so that's cute. Cute <laughs> <laughs> and probably true. All right. <laughs> so, but but I remember leaving there being like, man, I didn't know that about Joe. I love Joe. Like, I don't care. Like, you know, the Bible doesn't define the age of the Earth. Right. And there could be huge gaps, right? Mm-hmm. In the Genesis narrative, Warfield like, had a gap theory. Right. Like you can, you can reconcile stuff. I mean, I overlook, he, I overlook all of the gaps in your theology, and uh, <laughs> it doesn't bother but my, me. My my point is, that's not a dividing point for me with brother. Right, right. Where for many confessionally reformed guys, that's like it. Like you're not teaching here. We're not talking to you. You're a liberal, and, and I'm like, you, no. You have to be honest no. about it. You can't read the confession. And and say anything other than the confessions are pushing young earth. The, con- right. the confessions are, pre- are a literal, you know, six days of creation. That's what the confessions push. So you have right. to you have to recognize that that the, if if you are deviating, I mean, <laughs> that is what you are doing. You are deviating from now. In your mind, you're not deviating right. from scripture, but you are deviating not, from the standard. Not, it doesn't mean you're deviating from orthodoxy, right? Or mm. and my point is in the conversation of fundamentalism. Fundamentalism says if you're not six ordinary day, we really I we can't have you here. We can't do this together. Yeah, yeah. That's crazy. Would you make room right? would you make room for Jimmy's uh theistic evolution position that he holds? Probably not. No. Jimmy is totally <laughs> a heretic. <laughs> Aww. Jimmy's actually, I think Jimmy's, are you a young earther, aren't you, Jimmy? Huh? Yeah, I'm young yeah, earther. Yeah, so, so theistic evolution would go, in my opinion, would go against the very clear historical, redemptive historical nature of Adam. Right. I mean, no Adam, no historical Adam, no Christ. Yeah, right? you got it. I mean, Adam. if you yep. argue some kind of like ad hominem, God stopped the process of, and stamped Imago Day day on Homo sapiens sapiens. I'm like, I where do you get this? Yeah, that That's gets weird. cute. That actually does get That's cute. Weird. That's <laughs> cute. That's cute. That's <laughs> cute. So um, how how are you navigating the whole? You know, because you were recently preaching at one of those hardcore new fundamentalist conferences about um, <laughs> anti wokeness, and um, how? And I'm just kidding. How are you? How do you navigate? these issues of race and oppression, um, you know, uh, police brutality and abuse versus, you know, the commendability of good uh, police policing and police officers. Let, let, let me tell you this, because like, for years I was anti-police because they used to arrest me and I didn't like them for that. Um, and, and yeah, but and I but I carried that with me for years. I did not like the police mm-hmm. for a long, long time. And it took me a while to figure out like that a lot of this is my problem. And one well, of you the, also deserved everything you got. Not always. Eh. Not always. Name one time you didn't. Uh, when I would be driving through town as a teenager and the cops would pull me over for no cause, have me empty my pockets on the hood and oh, they would please search my car. Tell me. Tell me about how hard it is with you and cops. Well, that's what that's how it was. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Anyway. When was the last time they pulled you over for no reason and had you empty your pockets and search your car? Six months. Thursday. Ago. <laughs> Six months ago. <laughs> but here's the thing. Um, I started to meet cops. What? Ever since I got the new car, they leave now, me alone. They leave you alone now. Jimmy's driving this Bugatti. I'm that's not a Bugatti. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> what is it? Doesn't matter. Okay. So And oh, you guys must be rolling in the dough. Yeah, it's uh that's that's church life. <laughs> so um but here's the thing. Um uh, we I, went to the MacArthur School of Money. I went to uh, <laughs> I'm not touching that. That's a joke, y'all. I'm I'm actually, I want to talk about we're gonna, that. We're going to talk, talk, talk about that. We're going to do a whole episode I, on that. you know what? I, I think my view is different than Joe's on that only one. Only slightly. <laughs> only slightly. Um, so you rich guys got to stick together. Anyways. Um, <laughs> so I do believe that there is a problem of police brutality. And I think it's right, I, I right. think it's I more a sizable percentage than a lot of pro cops will admit. I, I mean, I'm going to ballpark it at 20, 30% of the cops probably need to be taken off the force. Right, but I do right. think the majority are really good cops. And so just sure. this way, as, when we're recording this. Well, uh, and it depends on what what area you are, right? Like, huh. and because I mean, yeah, well, you talk about New well, York well, back in the day or Chicago back in the day, that 20, 30% is probably a bit higher. A bit higher, yeah. So yeah. one of the things that, that helped me is, is just actually getting to know um, cops. And so, uh, as, as of when we're recording this, uh, last Sunday, one of our, one of our, uh, church people died. 
um, uh, unexpectedly. You know, there was it was a very big shock. Uh, before church, um, he had a heart attack and passed away. So I go to the house and uh, after service, and um, this man is is still in the house. He's in the living room, and the the funeral guys are there, and the sheriff deputies are there. And uh, so I go in and I greet the family and I'm, we're hugging, we're praying, we're, we're talking. And one of the big, bald sheriff guys starts walking towards me. And then he opens up his arms and comes really close and starts to hug me. And I mm. don't know what's going on. <laughs> and, and Joe is not a hugger. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not, a, I don't, I don't initiate. I reciprocate, but I don't initiate. Mm -hmm. So he starts to hug me. And at that very moment, I realized I didn't recognize him with the mask on. It's. It's my friend Andy, who's a sheriff's deputy. And I, I mean, we see each other every once in a while. We went to school together. He gives me a big hug. He grabs my my hand and stands next to me and holds my hand as this is all going down. Mm, that's sweet. And then he checked in on me later in the day. Um, and I know him to be a good and righteous man. And so I know our experiences do taint how we look at things. And we've got to sort of mm -hmm. take a step back from it. But, you know, you've, you've got to allow for people to sort of figure out the truth of the situation and not just pick a side and run with it hardcore as if, oh, I've, I've got, I, I, this is my team and it's the thin blue line and it's nothing else or it's, you know, defund the police mm -hmm. altogether. There's a lot of nuance in there and there's a lot of learning that we have to do. Yeah, I mean, you know, John the Baptist, when the Roman soldiers come to him, he says, they say, what should we do? And he says, don't intimidate anybody and be content with your wages. I think that's Luke 3. I've always thought that's a telling passage because it says that there's a proclivity for, quote unquote, law enforcement, whatever, you know, national, local, whatever, to abuse authority, to intimidate and to not be content with their wages, right? I mean, that's what it says. That doesn't mean everybody in law enforcement, one of my best friends in the world, in the church I'm in here, is a SWAT officer. And he is just, I mean, this guy's awesome, like on every level. And so I do think you've got to take every person on their own. Right. Um, I think also the issues with, and maybe we're kind of moving out of the, fundamentalist conversation to court of public opinion conversation from Michael Brown or maybe Zimmerman um, and Trayvon Martin on, we have been thrust into this, you know, jump on the court of public opinion. One of my best friends, you know him, Joe, Stephen Birch, he often says, yeah. um, court of public opinion is a really bad court in which to be tried. Yeah. He always says that. Court of public opinion is a bad court. Do you want to be tried in the court of public opinion? And I'm like, nope. Do you? No. Like, if you get if you get in the fray of what people think, so God has appointed two courts, civil and ecclesiastical. That's it. Like under heaven, we have two courts: civil courts, ecclesiastical courts. They can err. But God has appointed them to sort of discern in those two spheres what is right, right? Mm. So we have to wait. I remember Obama coming out after Trayvon, and everybody was outraged. And, and this, this is like etched in my brain. I remember Obama saying, we've got to let the courts do their work. I mean, that was like sort of a good lawyer speaking. Do you mm -hmm. know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Like, we got it, guys. We got to let this play out. Let the courts do their work. And I feel like we've got to get back there and less of the public outrage, court of public opinion. And that, that breeds that fundamentalist outrage, that cancel culture, that if you don't agree with us on, yeah, like everybody's so angry. And it's like, guys, you don't even have all the facts. All I'm taking you away know? from that, all I'm taking away from that is that you voted for Obama. So, Nick. <laughs> um, I didn't say that. <laughs> when, uh, when we're talking about this, what we'd like to know is just give us those references again. Um, give us that article. Uh, give us that Machen book. Uh, not Christianity and Liberalism, but the other one. And anything okay. else that you think would be helpful. And we'll wrap it up with your recommendations. 
Yeah, so Kevin DeYoung's article I mentioned in our last call together is called When and How Do We Draw the Line? I think this is excellent, guys. Kevin's great anyway. But July 2012, Ligonier, when and how do we draw the line? He kind of distinguishes between, you know, fundamentals and secondary tertiary issues. And the heart of fundamentalism, right, in part is making tertiary doctrines, primary doctrines and saying, I can't be with these people. Right. You know, these people are wrong. I'm going to separate from them or non-biblical doctrines. Right. So I want to recommend that. And then Machen, let me see if I can find this in his book, um, What is Faith? Machen has a quote, and I'll try to tell you exactly where that is. Um, it is on, hang on, sorry. On the Pharisee and the Publican, I love that quote. Um, well, they can find um, it. We want them to read the book, and so well, it's what it what is faith, and then I've got it. I've got it here. Um, Machen, what is faith, and it is, um, this is. This is great pod, Nick. I'm sorry, you're gonna have to clean this up. <laughs> I ain't anyway, cleaning it. <laughs> they should they should just read the entire book. <laughs> what Joe just That's said. That's what I just said. And then one other thing, uh, you mentioned a, a sermon or a series of sermons by Martin Lloyd-Jones, I think? Yeah, Martin Lloyd-Jones on Ephesians 6 uh, or 5, chapter 5 on slaves and masters. It's okay. excellent. There's right. three or four sermons. And Nick, if people want to find you online, Instagram, what is it? Yeah. Is it I, at? You made fun of me last time. I don't know. It's... Uh, uh, Twitter, it's Nick underscore Batsig, and Joe's going to make fun of me. Nope, nope, I already and did then, it. And <laughs> um, Nick Batsig at uh, Facebook, Instagram, and then you can find my audio at feedingonchrist.com. Feedingonchrist.org. I'm well, right .org and .com. .com's He's got both. Yeah, okay. So feedingonchrist.org. I'll, I'll, fi I'll fix your mistakes. It's all right, <laughs> Nick. We we love you, man. We wish uh, we wish we could hang out more and oh, yeah. see you. We'll, we'll have to we'll have to make it happen soon. Maybe at the next Doctrine and Devotion conference. Who knows? That'd be fun. Let's figure that out. Well, we'd love to hear your thoughts. You can follow us online on Instagram and Twitter at Doc and Diva or on Facebook slash Doctrine and Devotion. You can head to the website DoctrineDevotion.com. There you can contact us. You can send up for the email blast. You hit the store joefostore.com and grab some gear. Get that gear. Fresh pot every Monday and a Thursday. <laughs> Joe's got a call coming in. Somebody's calling Blog me. Blog post on Wednesdays, video content on Fridays. Decline. Later. Later.